Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. You are listening to a message from our Wednesday night service. I'm going to be sharing about spiritual warfare for the next few weeks. And the Lord really began to put some things on my heart that He was telling me it's really time to now put, put the foot on the gas a little bit more um, and to kind of go into some of, some of the deeper things like the judgments of God. You probably have never heard a whole sermon on the judgments of God. All through Ezekiel, he says, I will judge them and they shall know that I am the Lord thy God. So there's, there, there's a revelation of the knowledge of God in the judgments of God. You remove the judgments of God and the righteousness of God and you have people saying things like love is love, but love is not love, God is love. It's like, love is not God. <laughs> so you got, you got a whole bunch of... So if you remove the judgments of God and the righteousness of God and the standards of God, you get chaos, you get lawlessness, and you get destruction. Now, if I show you lawlessness, I promise you, you won't like it. I can take you to Haiti. <laughs> right away, he's thinking of Haiti. I can take you to certain places in Africa where there is, there is a level of lawlessness that does not allow humans to flourish which is demonic so we want to know that the enemy is real number one number two we're not afraid of him that's number two number three one of the one of the tactics of the enemy is to cause people not to believe in him so that he can operate on them so so the, the, this whole thing of i don't believe this or i don't believe that or i don't accept that or i don't accept this that doesn't mean it's not real you can say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that doesn't mean it's true. I, I can't explain to you gravity, but if this bottle falls, it, you know, it hits off, it will experience gravity, whether I understand gravity, whether I believe in gravity, or whether I know the mathematical equation of gravity. I don't know it, but I will experience it and come under its influence. So one of the, one of the intentions of the enemy is for people not to believe in him so that he can run game on them. In psychology, for a very, very long time, in, cl in clinical psychology, they did not have even terminology for evil. So they would diagnose it as a disease, but it's not a disease. It's literally demonic. I'm not saying that everything is the devil. If I bang my knee, that's not the devil. That's my knee and that's me. But, but you, can, you have to understand that, that many times within a situation, within a circumstance, there's a third reality, an unseen reality, that is the enemy who is at work. So, for example, I don't know if you know this, but do you know that every time you stand in the pulpit or to, to sing or every time we come here and we preach, do you know, even when you give, when you give, do you know it's like you're declaring war on the gates of hell? Like every time you choose to obey Jesus, when you forgive someone, when you bless someone, when you, you know, come and you don't want to come, you know, whatever it is you're going through, you are like declaring war on the enemy because the enemy is the one that's trying to divide us. He's trying to uh, split us up. He's trying to break families up, break homes up, break churches up. He, I mean, he, he will destroy nations. I mean, whole entire nations will, will come under this, this influence. Like right now, the enemy is trying to stir some conflict up between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. 
which could be a, a real catastrophe, and it's, it's really a demonic thing. Sometimes, sometimes there's things that are natural, and, and, and there's other times that there's something demonic happening, like that this is, not, like this is not natural. And so you have to sometimes be able to discern, is something that is happening spiritual or natural? I'll give you an example. Years ago, we were in Haiti, and uh, we, for the first five years, me and my wife and our children, we spent every Christmas in Haiti. We've been ministering in Haiti since 2009. We love it, and uh, so we would be there. And one night, we're in uh, our room downstairs, and we're in a church. The church is across the street from a nightclub. The nightclub is playing sex music all night long. It's like you're hearing boom, boom, shh, ah, boom, boom, ah. Like, like, it's like, it's like the devil's next door. The kingdom of God is here. I mean, it's, it's, it's totally insane. My son now is getting attacked by demons. He, he's freaking out and he's going crazy, you know, and I'm trying to kill a spider that's the size of my hand. Like, we're like we, look, we look like psycho, like crazy people. But th that, the nature of what was happening there, that wasn't natural. So if I look at that through natural eyes, I don't have an answer. You know what happened when Sarah, do you remember when Sarah got sick? Remember that? Do you know there was no natural answer for that? The same thing happened to Brett. He got sick. He didn't, they didn't know what happened. They went to the hospital. They said, there's nothing wrong with you. The exact same thing happened to Pastor Reginald in Haiti. They went. They checked him. They go, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, you're healthy. And, and I'm trying to explain to you that we actually do have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We should not focus on him. We should not ignore him. We should not be ignorant of his devices. But... If it's stealing, killing, and destroying, it's him. If it's life and life more abundantly, it's God. It's not that, it's not that complicated. And so we're going to kind of get into this um, as best that we can. So it's ignorant to ignore someone who Jesus spoke about. So the whole thing like, oh, we don't, we don't talk about, you know, some churches go, you know, we don't talk about the devil, okay? That means that most of your people are probably under his influence. Um, if all you talk about is the devil... That's probably an issue too. I don't know if you're a fanboy or what, what the issue is there, but that's, that's not healthy either. But we have to know, we have to have a biblical understanding of the enemy. Now, if Jesus says, this is what Jesus said about the enemy, that he comes, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. So, so he doesn't come like on Tuesday to bless you and then Wednesday he comes to, you know, flatten your tire. Like no matter what, he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Now this is important because when the devil starts speaking to you, he does not introduce himself. He's not like, oh, I'm Satan, I'm here to take you to hell. He's not like, oh, I'm the devil, I'm here to destroy your marriage, screw your church up, destroy your finances, and ruin your children. He doesn't talk like that. He speaks to you in a way that is appealing to feelings. And I'm going to talk about that. But before we get into all that, let's go back. Um, the names the scripture gives to Satan. One, Lucifer. Daystar. Do you know one of the meanings of Lucifer? Morning star, and also listen to this crescent moon. I'm gonna let that sit in there for a second. Hold on to that. That's the devil. Okay, another one, the tempter. Another one, evil one. 
father of lies, murderer, the thief, the great dragon, the serpent of old. So Revelation is talking about Genesis, which we're going to touch on that in a minute. The accuser of the brethren. So let me explain to you, there's two functions of accuser of the brethren. There is, in the book of Job, where Satan goes to God, and Satan begins to accuse Job before God and says, God, uh, Job only loves you. You know what Job's name means? Hated. 42 chapters. That's a whole, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Okay, we'll get out of there. It'll be here until tomorrow morning. So, so the accuser, so, so what, ha what happens there? So, so then the enemy accuses and the enemy says, oh, well, Isaac only loves God because, you know, he's blessed. He's happy. He has a good job. He's young. He's strong and healthy. So the enemy accuses you before God, but the enemy also accuses us with one another. So if I assume motives of you that are not your motives, that's satanic. Now, if someone shows you their motives and their actions, well, then you can believe them. But if I accuse you, if accusation comes from the devil, that's something that brings offense, misunderstanding, all types of uh, chaotic stuff. You see this a lot, believe it or not, with children. Children, when they're, when they're getting into it with their siblings, <laughs> the, the, the level of accusation uh, that really is, you know, you can learn so much about sinful nature with children. Oh man, like it's like they're born knowing how to sin. Uh, anyway, and so, and anyway, so there's that. So the enemy does this whole accusing thing because he, he is like, he's looking for legal ground. That's what the accusations are. So the accusations of the enemy are either false or they're real depending on how you're living your life, and that depends on how much, you know, access. But let me just give you one more thing before I get into access a little bit. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If the enemy could not steal, kill, or destroy, Jesus would not say he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. People go, oh, it was, it was you know, everything is God's will. No, everything is not God's will. God's will is not any, that anyone should perish. Jesus takes the death for every man, yet people are perishing. That's their will, not God's. If everything that happened on planet Earth is God's will, God, Jesus wouldn't have raised Lazarus from the dead because he died in God's timing. And Jesus and the Father are not in opposition to each other ever. So that means that people can die outside of the timing of God and not fulfill the number of their days. So Jesus is warning us about a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus would not say that if he couldn't do that. He, he's talking to you straight and saying, listen, you have an enemy. You have to be alert. You have to be aware. You do not have to be afraid. Okay? You do not have to be afraid because Jesus said to his disciples, I give you power. I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and no, no, he cannot hurt you. So, so you have authority, but here's the thing. If you give him access, would you give a thief access to your bank account? <laughs> Come on, now we have double verification, right? There's all types of verification. 
because we don't want, why? The wrong people to have access. So now, when the enemy is speaking to you or trying to lie to you, whether it's through social media, whether it's at work, whether it's a thought in your own head that penetrated your, your helmet there, whatever it is, he's trying to gain access. Okay? So anyway, we're going we're gonna to continue here. Now, the Bible mentions Satan, the word Satan, 54 times. I want to show you that this is not something that is just one or two times. This is not, this is something that is spoken about from the beginning to the end. The devil, 35 times. Lucifer, one. Evil, which is the work of who? Okay, 485 times. So what the scripture is showing us in this very, very simple numbers game here, very simple is that the scripture talks about more of what the enemy does than the enemy himself. So we're aware and alert. Not that we give too much attention to him, but so that we're not unaware of what is happening. This is very important. Okay. Demon, 32 times. Sin. Uh-oh. Sin is, that's a choice. 446 times. We do not talk about sin in church anymore. We talk about trauma, I'm hurting, my emotions, but sin will kill you and sin will destroy your life. Okay, death, which is the work of uh, sin, the devil, that gives birth to sin, which gives birth to what? Death, death right? So that 385 times, so that's more than a scripture a day on death. It's like, I read the Bible today, I was reading about death, I'm pretty inspired, you know. But what's the point? The point is that the Bible talks about this for a reason. That's what we have to really see. Now, I'm going to go through this uh, pretty quickly. Paul did not want us to be ignorant of spiritual gifts or Satan's devices. Because one of the ways that we overcome Satan's devices is through two things. One, spiritual fruit. Two, spiritual gifts. The work of the enemy is sickness. The work of the enemy is, is demonic possession. The work of the enemy is a lack of discernment. All of those things, a lack, a lack of wisdom, a lack of understanding, a lack of being able to see the future that God is desiring for his people, prophecy, all those things, are, are that's battle, that's, those are battle weapons. That's ammunition. That's so that you're loaded and ready to fight because we are legitimately in a war zone. Now, you may not think, oh, we're in West New York, you know, it's a little shady, but it's not that crazy. Listen to me. We are in an active war zone, 24-7, 365. The enemy is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. That is not to make us neurotic and crazy or afraid or anxious. No, we just have to simply be alert, be sober-minded. Why, why, why not? Do not be drunk with wine. Be sober-minded. That's very important. You know what happens when people get drunk? They get sloppy. They become vulnerable. They can get, you can see a big, huge guy stumbling, you know, out of a club. He can get robbed by a little guy because he's vulnerable. So, so you don't want to be overly vulnerable in the wrong setting with the wrong people. To be vulnerable with the right people in the right setting, that's good, that's important, that's healthy, but overly vulnerable with the enemy or people that have a bad agenda for your life, not good, okay? So Paul does not want us to be ignorant because if I'm ignorant of something, what happens? The enemy will always exploit me. You go, you buy a car, 
You don't read the fine print. You, you, you know, you, you take out a loan. You, you know, you go, okay, great, 18 months, uh, zero interest. Yeah. Month 19, 24.99% interest. And then you go, oh my gosh, this worse than the mafia showing up at the ATM. It's like visas outside with a club now, and you're getting, you're getting destroyed because you are ignorant of the fine print. You have to remember that, that the enemy is like, he's an accuser. He's like a prosecutor. He, he's looking for ground to prosecute and to accuse. And we have to really shut him down by living well in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, Paul, also, also, uh, Paul also taught us that going to bed angry gives place to the devil. I can say one thing that me and my wife have done. It's more of an accomplishment for her. But we have never went to sleep angry in what is going to be, it's over 14 years, not once. We stayed up late a few times, but we never went to sleep angry because why do we want to give the devil a place where he's actively seeking a place for anyway? So, so you have to, let me just say this to you, you have to unresolve conflict with yourself, with your spouse, with a brother, with a co-worker, unresolved conflict releases confusion and it attracts the enemy. Strife, uh, confusion, every evil work, that, that is not something you want to learn how to keep a short account. Like, don't let it build, okay? I was mad about this, I'm mad about that, all right, I'm going to pray it through and I'm not taking that to bed with me because the devil is not, I'm not shacking up with the devil, <laughs> you know, there's three, you, you know, there's three people in your bed. You're like, who's that? It's the devil. Well, you went to sleep angry. You don't, you don't want to do that to yourself because then you're giving space for him and you're, you're, inviting, him, you're inviting him into an intimate place to, re, to just wreak death and stuff. So anyway, we don't want to do that. All right. Now, spiritual warfare 101, rules of engagement. I'm going to get into the Bible. Don't worry. But here I'm just going to just talk very, very simple and very plain. If you don't submit to God and you don't, you don't have the power to resist the enemy, and instead of fleeing, he will have a field day with you. So, for example, if I, do, if I cannot, if, if let's just say me and my wife cannot agree with, with the standard of God in, in the word of God in some area, right? Now, where there is disagreement, there is room for the enemy to operate. So I cannot submit to God if I don't agree with God. That's why renewing your mind is very important and holding yourself to that standard is very important because then you don't have the power to resist and instead of fleeing, he's manipulating you and he's, he's, he's moving you instead of you moving him. In very plain language, if when God speaks to you, you don't move. When you speak to the devil, he won't move. So it's very, very important just that we learn how to submit to the Lord. And, you know, sometimes that's not easy. Sometimes, like, maybe God is telling you something that you don't like, you don't want to hear, but you know what? Would you rather be free? You know, you have to choose, like, what is it that you really want? Do you want to be free or do you want to just have bitterness, have resentment, have, I don't know, strife, whatever? Okay, the enemy wants you to question God's intentions and his integrity, which we're going to get into that in a minute. The enemy wants you to believe his lies so he has power and authority over you. The lies of the enemy have many believers bound. The enemy fires 
fiery darts to pierce your mind with all kinds of ungodly ideas and desires so that he can manipulate and control you. Let me just tell you one thing about God. God is almighty. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is in charge. He is not the almighty manipulator. He does not control everyone, and he does not control everything. Control is only for insecure people. The more insecure people are, the more they try to control and manipulate other people. You see this many times with a woman, let's say she has fear, and she marries a guy in her mind who she thinks is dumb. She will try to control and manipulate him because she doesn't respect him enough because she thinks he's weak and stupid, so she will try to manipulate him and control him. Maybe because she has fear or something in her life. Or, and it goes both ways, too. It's not just women. It's men. Whoever has fear is overly vulnerable to being manipulated and controlled. The enemy is about control. The enemy is, is about manipulation. God is about freedom. And God is about self-control. He empowers it, but he doesn't control it. He says, that's your responsibility. The fruit of the Spirit, which is the evidence of God's residence, is that God gives me power over me. <laughs> when, you do not, when you are lost, you don't have power over you. <laughs> you are like a big walking desire. Whatever you want, you're like, that's what you do. But when, you, when you're saved, when you're born again, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the power. One of the most crazy things that I witnessed when I got born again is I had the power to say no. There was things that I just couldn't say no to in my mind. I just felt like I don't want to say no. So how can I? And I got saved and I was like, man, I can say no to that. That's crazy, you know? And that's how I knew God was doing something in my life deep in the inside that was not by my own strength, but his strength. Okay, the enemy wants to keep you ignorant so he can exploit you. This is very all basic spiritual warfare. Now, the enemy comes to steal the word. The enemy always comes to oppose the word and the work of God. Another, th another way you can, you can frame that is that the enemy will attack the message or the messenger. The, the, the enemy will always try to undermine what God is wanting to do. This is, this is, this is you know, just live in the kingdom. You'll know exactly what this is. Okay, the enemy comes to break unity and bring division. What did, what did the enemy do, want to do in heaven? He wanted to exalt himself. Did you know self-exaltation is satanic? The church is filled with that. I'm sorry to say that. It's filled with that. That's satanic. If, you, if you're seeking a promotion, you're not ready for a promotion. You, you got to Most people, this is what I found in my life. Most people do not want a promotion. They want the benefits of the promotion. <laughs> because the promotion is more pressure and more responsibility. And people really are not signing up for that. People are wanting a bigger payout on the same work. If I asked you right now, and it, you better be honest with me. <laughs> if I said right now, you can get paid one hundred thousand dollars more to do the same job that you're doing right now who would say no all of us would say yes don't get religious on me or else we'll say that you're mentally you're mentally ill and stuff i would say yes there's nothing wrong with that that's because you have a brain 
But the point is, if, if, you, if you are seeking promotion, you're not ready for promotion, okay? Now, here it comes. When Satan speaks, he does not introduce himself. Uh, this, is, this is what I'm going to get into in Genesis 3 for a second. Satan's question, he, he questions God's word. Did God say that? Remember to, to Eve, the serpent of old? Then he contradicts it. Oh, you're not going to die. No, no, you're not going to die. No, no, just go ahead and do it your way. You're good, you're good. Then he questions God's motives. Oh, God is withholding something from you by not letting you have that fruit. Oh, yeah, because you'll be like God. Do you know they were already like God? They were created in the image and likeness of God. They were walking with God in the cool of the day. So he lies to you and makes you feel as if you are missing something. Listen to me. Sin was not yet there. Death was not yet there. Sickness was not yet there. They had shalom. They literally had everything. They were naked and unashamed. God would walk with them in the cool of the day and speak to them. They had everything. Adam had a person, a place, and a purpose. That's what every man needs. That's what every woman needs. A purpose, a person, and a place. You need that. He had God's PPP. He had everything. He had it all. And she felt as if she was missing something which was not true. You know whose problem that was? Adam's. You know what, she, what the enemy did? The enemy isolated her. The enemy will try to isolate you and speak to you. You notice that the enemy did not speak to her in front of her husband? Okay. When the woman began to listen to the serpent, let me ask you this question. Do you think that she thought that the end result would be her son killing her other son? Listen to me for a second, just one second. So she's in the garden. She's there listening to the serpent. And, uh, you know, the serpent is talking, which if she's not bugged out that the serpent is talking, then it was, it's probably because before sin, humans can communicate with animals. The Bible said the trees of the forest clap their hands. The rocks will cry out. So there, there's something within creation that creation has a voice. I'm not trying to get weird on you and stuff like that, but... Start hugging trees and stuff. But, but, but I don't want to get into all that. But so the, so the serpent is speaking to her, right? And so she's not freaking out that, oh, my God, a, a snake is talking. So, so that maybe there was something, maybe animals and humans could communicate. I don't know. We don't know. We can't say yes or no. I'm not going to make a doctrine out of it, start a cult or anything. We don't know. We don't know. We don't, we don't really know. We can't, we can't say something we don't know. You never, this is a basic lesson. You never use the authority of Scripture for something Scripture does not clearly say. That's a mishandling of Scripture. We don't want to do that. We want to handle the Word carefully and people gently. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to hurt anyone. Uh, and so anyway, so the serpent is, is, you know, he's selling his lies and stuff. He's hustling her like, like she's missing something. And so she buys in. But let me ask you this question. Do you honestly think when she's listening to this demonic uh, serpent, do you really think that she thinks that the end result of this is going to be death culminating in her son killing her other son because of the curse that she's going to unleash? And you know what? You know what? You know what's really interesting? 
the scripture doesn't hold her responsible. When you read the book of Romans, the book of Romans says sin came through one man. When she sinned, God said, Adam, where are you? He didn't say, Eve, what did you do? She wasn't Eve at that time. She was woman. She didn't get the name Eve until after sin. She was one with him. He was responsible to serve and protect everything in the garden. He did not protect her and he did not serve her. He let that thing speak to her. That's one of the jobs of a husband is he has to sometimes, I'm sorry, don't get mad at me, ladies. Sometimes a husband has to tell his wife the reality. I know that this is not popular in our culture, but it's very helpful to sometimes snap out of it and sometimes she'll snap you out of it too. Don't worry. <laughs> she'll get her opportunity. Don't worry. But, but that's important. So God held Adam responsible. He said, Adam, where are you? Not Adam, what did you do? Adam, where are you? God is always looking to restore. Restore. Restore the relationship. We'll deal with what you did later. Let's restore the relationship. Let's restore communion. Let's restore fellowship. Yes, you're going to be punished, but first, let's restore you. It's like, yes, you're going to get spanked, but come over here. I love you. You know, yes, we're going to discipline you. Yes, you're going to unloose sin and death, and your kids are going to kill each other. You know, but hey, listen, I love you. So God's priority is, okay, let's bring this thing all back together so that we can deal with it. But this is the thing that I think sometimes we don't realize in our life. When we are listening to a voice of destruction, we do not understand the reality that listening to that voice will unleash. She did not anticipate her son Cain killing her son Abel. And his voice cried out. His blood cried out from the earth. Can I say something? Without her making that choice, that doesn't happen. So listen to me. There's consequences of our actions have consequences attached to them. Even if you're forgiven, even if God is mercy. Yes, that's all true. But yet there is in the earth realm consequences. I'll give you an example. One, one is a really one that people really don't think about it. But let's say a guy commits adultery. All right. Cheats on his wife. He was vulnerable, whatever. He wasn't getting no sex. I don't know what, whatever, whatever the situation is. So he cheats on his wife and, uh, he gets caught, and uh, so he's kind of sorry that he got caught, and uh, he's sort of sorry, but not fully sorry, but he gets sorry, so then they restore the marriage somehow, you know. And, and then God forgives him immediately when he humbles himself. Now, it may take her, <laughs> it may take her, it may, if she really does it, it may take some time. It doesn't have to, but it may. It may. But listen. He will live with the reproach that he committed adultery among men for the rest of his life, especially if he's a pastor. If he's a businessman, nobody cares. But if he's a pastor, uh-oh, pastor, worship leader, everyone will know, oh, did you know what he did? He, you know, he cheated on his wife. God will forgive him. His wife may forgive him. <laughs> I don't know about it. Maybe it depends. But, but here's the thing. That reproach will never go from him. He will always be labeled as that. Proverbs says that. So why am I saying this to you? I'm saying this to you because, not because you can't be forgiven. I'm saying this to say that when you make choices 
there are consequences. One of the sole purposes of disciplining children, like spanking children, not out of anger, but out of love, is to provide them with an understanding that bad choices cause pain. This is what I tell my kids. You, you, you're going to make a bad choice and it's going to cost you something. It's going to hurt you. So I'm going to give you a spank on your rear end to teach you there's consequences. And we want to live in a world where no, there's no consequences, but that's not real. So anyway, my point simply is sometimes we have to really consider when we're listening to something, what is going to be the end result? What is that voice trying to do to you? You, you see this in, I cannot preach all of this tonight and I'm not going to try. But when the enemy talks to Jesus in the wilderness, where did Israel fail? In the wilderness. Where did Adam fail? The garden. Where did Jesus succeed? The wilderness and the garden. Right? So, you know, th this is something. So the enemy goes, the enemy's wild. The enemy's crazy. The enemy is crazier than a low-budget ghetto movie. The enemy is crazy. He says to God, he says to Jesus, turn the rock into stone. Well, Jesus is hungry. You've been fasting 40 days. The enemy will speak to your felt needs. The enemy will try. If the, listen to me. Can I just say this to you, please, for a second? If the enemy will try to speak to Jesus' feelings, which feelings are not bad, just so you know. If the enemy will try to speak to Jesus' feelings, Jesus created the enemy. He, he, he didn't create the devil. That was his choice. But beautiful angel who pride led to a fall. He created this, this thing and he is telling Jesus to do a miracle. And he's speaking to his felt knees to try to get him to trigger him. The enemy many times will try to speak to your felt need. Oh, you feeling lonely? All right. All right. There's somebody at work noticing you. He'll be happy to ruin your life. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. Oh, well, your wife don't pay attention to you anyway. So she's younger anyway. And she's not going to give you hell. I'm just messing with you. But the enemy will speak to whatever it is, you know, oh, so, you know, you're supposed to, you know, you, the Bible says you're the head and not the tail. Look at your bank account. You're broke. Oh, the Bible says you're the lender, not the borrower. Chase is chasing you. And MasterCard is your master. So the enemy, will, he will try to really speak to your condition to try to trigger you. Oh, you're feeling vulnerable today. Good. I'm going to come and, you know, I'm going to try to push your buttons. So you have to be aware of that stuff. So, so then he tells Jesus, you know, uh, bow down. He tells Jesus to jump off of the church building. <laughs> it's like, what? You know, it's like, I mean, the devil tells Jesus. The devil's not like, listen, Jesus, you know, jump off, jump off a mountain. He's like, Let, let's, let's, make this, let's make this newsworthy. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple. So the enemy is really nasty and strategic and he will, he will try to tell you commit suicide at church. Kill yourself. That's a satanic thought. Suicide, I'm telling you, is satanic. If you ever had a thought of suicide, that's not natural. 
That's the devil. That's straight from the pit of hell. Don't entertain that thought. Your life is valuable. I don't know if I'm speaking to someone, but I'm just speaking. Because that, that is not, your life is valuable. And then he says, he gets even more, you know, he goes, okay, just bow down and worship me. The devil wants worship. He wants signs and wonders. And he wants death. That's what he loves, all that stuff. So anyway, that's a whole other thing. But, what is my point here? My point is, if the devil will tell Jesus this crazy stuff, what makes you think that the devil is not going to tell you something crazy? My point is, he will. So maybe you have something floating around your mind that's not God. And it's, maybe it's, it could not even be you. <laughs> See, this is the thing. When you listen to the voice of the enemy, the voice of the enemy gets inside your head and starts sounding like you. And then you start speaking that out of your mouth. Now you're giving him permission. You're giving him permission. And that's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. A thief, can I ask you, have you ever noticed a thief? Do you know any thieves? Yes. Okay. Let me tell you one thing, one thing about a thief. That's all right. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. Let me tell you, I know all types of crooks back in the day. I know guys that will burn your car for insurance money, all types of people, bro. So listen, I'm not judging you. But, 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 but here's the situation. A thief is not going to write you an email and be like, yo, you mind if I steal your car? Have you ever had your car stolen? I have my car stolen. You ever have your car stolen? No? They don't ask permission. They steal it. <laughs> House broken into. That's terrible. So what is the point? The point is if he's a thief, then I definitely don't want to give him access. I mean, you are listening to someone that is ultimately saying, I want to kill you, I want to destroy you, I want to steal your life, and I want to take you to hell with me because I'm miserable and I'm going to hell anyway, so I want you to come with me. Why in the world would I want to engage with that type of a voice? But here's the thing. He doesn't come to you and be like, hey, I'd like to take you to hell for the weekend. Like, no, he goes, hey, girl, you feeling lonely, girl? Like, he, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't, he doesn't come like that to you. He's like, oh, you feeling tired today? Don't worry. I got a few bumps for you. You get, you get right back up. Oh, you'll be all right. He, he, so he comes. He doesn't come like, oh, let me destroy your life. The devil's not like, oh, uh, young athlete. Hey, champ. Hey, champ. You want to get addicted to Oxycontins and die of a heroin overdose, champ? No, he doesn't say that. He goes, oh, oh, young man, I'm so sorry, pal. Oh, pal, I'm really sorry to hear that. I got a great prescription for you, pal. And then that kid is on heroin. He went from Franklin Lakes, and now he's in Patterson in the streets with a needle in his arm. Because, you know, you, be careful what you listen to. You got to be very, very careful what you listen to. Okay. Now, this means we're getting ready to be on. <laughs> this means I ran out of time. <laughs> I'm seeing my wife's face like, ah. <laughs> she used to, when we first started, she used to be in the back. <laughs> uh, I'm preaching myself. I don't I mean, I just like to preach. So anyway, so Matthew, let's finish with Matthew. So Matthew 6 is when you pray, not if you pray. 
Oh, Matthew 6, let me say, it's, it's not when. It's when you pray, when you give, when you fast. Not if, if, or if. It's when, when, and when. So anyway, that's, that's a whole other thing. So when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the streets, uh, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they will have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. So you think that you're waiting on God? All day, God waits on you and goes. <laughs> Almost done with Netflix, Adam. <laughs> Almost ready? So we think that we're waiting on God. Usually, God is waiting on us. Man, one day he said that to me, I just fell apart. He said, I've been waiting for you all day. I just broke. I said, oh, man, I felt like a bad little sinner. <laughs> I hadn't done anything wrong, but I'd just been distracted all day. Help us, Jesus. When? Okay. So close the door. Your father is in secret. Who sees in secret, he will reward you openly. So this is the very opposite of the fly swatter God who can't wait to catch you sinning to punish you. <laughs> you grew up with a fly swatter God. You know, this is the opposite of the fly swatter God. This is the God who is like, I want to catch you doing something good privately so I can bless you publicly and drive some people crazy while I do it. <laughs> yeah, that's it anyway. All right. So let's just move on from there. Okay. And uh, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So he, he's saying, okay, look, there's people, they're religious, they're outside praying out loud, not because they want to be bold in the street, because they want to be heard and seen. This is a religious spirit. He's not talking about the guy in New York City shouting at everybody. He's another issue. But this is another, this is another thing. So his intention is not to be out there to get attention from men, but to get attention from God. That's very important. You always take your needs to God, you know? Sometimes we, we are overly vulnerable because we have unmet needs. That's all. We're not bad. You know, you sound like you're a bad person and stuff. You just may have some needs that God only can take care of. And, and you know, let him do that. Okay, so anyway, therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. So, so the, vain, the heathen think that they will be heard because they just keep repeating themselves. Repeating themselves. So their faith is not in God, it's in themselves. Because they think if they pray louder and more and, and blah, 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 that God will hear them. And all of a sudden that somehow what they do is triggering God. Prayer is not manipulating God. Prayer is coming to an agreement with God's word so that God can release his power Amen. to his people for his purposes. So that, that's prayer. So he says, okay, so pray when you pray. Pray in secret. Father is waiting. He wants to reward you openly. Don't pray to be seen by people. And don't use vain repetitions. In other words, when you're praying, your faith should not be in you. It should be in him. Smith Wigglesworth said, I would rather pray one prayer of faith with one person who believes than all night in a room full of people who don't believe. So, you know, and, and in America, the problem is not that there's not prayer. The problem is that the right people are not in the room. That's the problem. See, in the upper room, <laughs> in the upper room, this is rough, but it's true. You had 120 people willing to walk it out. See, 
if you are praying with people that are going to walk it out, that's different than asking people and, and praying with people that are not going to do nothing. That's a different type of convocation. That's a whole <laughs> different situation. So anyway, let's get off of that. So now he teaches them how to pray. We're going to end with all this. Don't worry. Our Father in heaven. So not my Father. Our, which means how I approach you and how I treat you matters because we have the same dad. And my kids cannot live in my house with unresolved things. They will both get spanked. <laughs> they will get spanked. They will not. They were they they going to be some resolution. We're going to resolve it. So this is, this is, okay. Our Father in heaven, hallowed. We don't have a, the, the, the King James is such a beautiful language, but we don't really have a hallowed. If I could use a statement to kind of give you hallowed, it's like in a league of its own. It's like far above any other name hallowed completely set apart completely separate from but totally open to <laughs> okay your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven okay his kingdom here so here as there Jesus as the center like the song Jesus as the main attraction it's all about him the environment of the kingdom in here, in here, in, <laughs> in there, in the little fire, the Bible says. Uh, so, so here, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So the presupposition of this prayer is that if I want to be forgiven, it is contingent upon not the grace of Jesus, but me forgiving. Jesus has already said, I have chosen to forgive. I God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So Jesus has already said, hey, you're forgiven, but you need to forgive each other. Because if you're mine, you're going to treat each other that way, or that's going to hinder your prayers. Even married people who are not in agreement, their prayers are hindered. So you have to, you have to, you have to, get, you have to get that, you've got to resolve that. That's okay. It takes sometimes, you know, time and stun, pain, whatever, but it'll happen. No worry. <laughs> So anyway, uh, and do not, this is the part I want to get to, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So even within the context of prayer, God is, is, is teaching us through Christ, who is God, he's teaching us that we have to be aware. Now, lead us not into temptation. It, what it means, lead us, it, it talks about do not allow me to be drawn away inwardly by things that are destructive for me. So I don't know if you've felt this, but have you ever felt an inward pull towards something bad? You feel drawn to someone who's dysfunctional or you, you, you feel like something on the inside, like not good. Jesus is teaching us to pray, do not allow me to be led into temptation. What he's saying, New Jersey, do not let me go in the frying pan because in the frying pan, I'll get burnt. Paul says, beware lest a man thinks he stands lest he fall. So, so if you think that it can't happen to you, you're positioning yourself for it to happen to you. And if you point your finger at someone else, 
you position yourself for that thing to happen to you. So the, the, the spirit of humility says, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Now, when I say the word temptation, you know, temptation is not just, uh, you know, a pretty girl in a bikini or, 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 you know, a way to, you know, fraud money or sometimes to the temptation is fear. Sometimes the temptation is offense. I have a proclivity toward being offended. So now I'm offended. Or I have a um, chip on my shoulder so I feel entitled. So now the temptation is to feel entitled, which is, which is a war on Thanksgiving. I cannot be thankful for what I have and feel entitled at the same time. So, so the temptation, when we think of temptation, temptation is not just you know, a big shiny car or a huge mansion that you can't afford or a bikini. The temptation is, is something that is appealing to you, that is destructive for you, and God is teaching us to be sober-minded, and every time you approach the Father, make sure you say, do not lead me into temptation, which means that you don't live with a presupposition that it can't happen to you. Because I'm telling you, it could happen to me, you, and us. Like, we got to be careful. Paul himself was talking this way. He said, lest I myself be a castaway. So if Paul was like saying, listen, you have to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, you have to be sober-minded because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. Not is a roaring lion, like... A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour which means there are some whom's do not be one of those whom's <laughs> you know because this is this is just the spirit of humility that says God do not lead me into that do not lead me this is also talking about unnecessary trials People, don't, listen to me, don't pray for trials. You don't have to pray for trials. They're coming. <laughs> you know, you don't have to ask God, like, hey, like, hold, hold off on that. You know, like, it, it will come, but just be aware. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us and rescue, and rescue us, that's the word in Greek, and rescue us from who? The evil one. Okay. So the, the evil one wants to draw you away. So he wants to put an inward desire in you that is destructive to you. He wants to get you, isolate you, so that he can work on you. You see this happen two times in the Gospels. Judas had to break away from the disciples to betray Jesus, and Peter... Peter was at a certain distance in the courtyard when he was sifted. So when you start distancing yourself from people that you should be close to, whether it's the Lord, whether it's the body of Christ, you know people fall away from the body of Christ before they fall away from Jesus? When someone is red hot for Jesus, I'm going to tell you what they, what they have a love for. They have a love for worship. They have a love... For the preaching of the word, 
They have a love for evangelism. They have a love for serving. Those are the very, the real basic, when someone is red hot, they like, they, that's what they want to do. They want to like seek that out. They want to, they want to go after that. When that thing cools down, guess what we do? We withdraw. The more you distance yourself from the fire, the easier it is to grow cold. Let me give you an example. Let's just say you surround yourself by 10 wise people. These are your only people. They're all smart. And now I have a dumb idea about floating around my head. Okay? So now I tell Isaac about the dumb idea. Isaac shoots it down. Boom. Now I tell the dumb idea to Roshan. Roshan rejects the dumb idea. Then I tell Brett about the, you know, the dumb idea. Brett really doesn't accept the dumb idea. You know? So now, because I've surrounded myself with wise people, I cannot do stupid things without withdrawing. You see that? So you, you, you do not want to allow the enemy to draw you away to have his way with you. In the hood, we, they used to call that the hungry man. You know about the hungry man? This is the hungry man. I'm going to tell you this is really hood. The hungry man is not a drug dealer. You, you don't think I know about this. <laughs> the hungry man is a hustler, but he's not a drug dealer. The hungry man is like, yo, yo, yo. He's like, I got you. I got you. And so the hungry man, what he wants to do, we call him the hungry man. I don't know if you guys are, maybe you guys are all been saved for so long, you don't know about this. But the hungry man wants to get you in the alley. The hungry man wants to get you between buildings. The hungry man doesn't want, he wants to take you away from the front so that he can do his thing. Rob you, stick you up, take your chain, whatever it is that you have, rob, rob you, whatever, whatever it is, right? Okay, guess, guess where the hungry man got that idea from? Satan. That's what Satan does to believers. He isolates them. And he doesn't start by saying, oh, you know, just go jump off a bridge. No, 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 no. He goes, oh, brother so-and-so didn't say hello to you today. Oh, sister so-and-so, sister sandpaper rubbed you the wrong way. <laughs> I used to call my mom that. <laughs> she would really... So she was amazing, but she was, you know, tough. She would call you. One time I said to my mom, I said, I'm angry. She said, anger rests in the bosom of fools. Oh, she hit me. She gunned with me with the proverb. Like, pow. So, but, but anyway, <laughs> the enemy tries this stuff on us. Let's not, let's not give in to him. All right? Let's not, let's not let him have his way. Okay, now we're going to get it to this end of this in like three minutes. Okay. Uh, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So prayer begins and ends with Father. <laughs> Isn't that good? Let me just tell you something that you, I hope you experience. I have a six-year-old, and you know him. He makes himself fully known. And... Uh, there are times where his, his six-year-oldness, 
will really just be six. And he will come and he will run to me and he will jump right into my arms. He will come boldly and jump right, right into me. Boom. And I'll catch him. And he will not allow anything to come in between him and me. He will get close and get up close. And he's physical and personal and he'll just jump right on me. And that's what the Father wants with us. The Father wants us to get personal with him, to get intimate with him, to get open with him, and to just throw ourselves, like, throw our life in just boom, to be absorbed into him. Jesus is teaching us that prayer begins and ends with Father. Prayer involves God's will, God's kingdom. Prayer involves daily bread. You need to live. It involves provision, sustenance. Prayer, uh, it, it involves forgiveness. We need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. The same gospel I preach, I need. I'm not perfect. I may let you down. I may, I'm not, you know, we, we need mercy. We need forgiveness. We, that's, that's what we need. We also need to be aware and to be praying that we don't get led into temptation. So we need protection. That's protection. So you're, you're seeing identity, Right? Provision, come on, kingdom, purpose, let's go. Protection, this is good, this is all good stuff. This is where our major core needs are met. The job cannot do it, the house cannot do it, children cannot do it. Whatever it is that you want, I don't know what you like, watches, pocketbooks, makeup, fragrances, whatever people... <laughs> computers, te televisions, vacations. That's all great stuff. I pray that you have all of that in abundance. I really do. But that won't do it. It's, it's really an internal thing that God does in the kingdom. Delivers us from the evil one. Rescue, protection, and reflection on him. You, th listen, the, the more reflective you are on him, the less you want less. Let me tell you something that's bad. What, <laughs> let me tell you something bad. Have, who here has bought a nice car? You have a nice car. You know the problem with a nice car? You want other nice cars. That's a problem. It's not a problem, it's good. I'm happy for you. But my point is, what is my point? My point is that it changes your taste buds. Years ago when we had an Escalade, before we got it, my wife was looking at it and I said, I'm gonna tell you something. This is a problem. I'm gonna tell you the problem right now. This is the problem. We get in this car and test drive it. You will, we will buy it. There, there's no going back once you sit in this car. I go, do you realize that? She goes, yeah, we bought it. See, God wants to destroy our taste for lesser things. I'm not talking about material stuff. That's good too, have that. I'd rather you in an Escalade than, you know, than, than whatever it is. But that's not what I'm talking about. My, my point 
is that when you when I'm when I am focused on and I am reflecting on my father and and his goodness and his provision and his protection and the identity that I have and the purpose that I have in him that other stuff is less appealing to me do you let me ask you a question I, I don't want to get nasty on you but do you think a guy who's in a hundred thousand dollar brand new escalate when a beat-up Hyundai rolls by he's like oh man oh man I Man, that is tempting to me. He's like, dang, I just, I really feel as if, man, I'm missing something. No, he doesn't feel that. Because he has something greater than that. I'm not beating up on anyone. This is not about money, but I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to use a natural metaphor to illustrate a spiritual truth about one of the purposes of prayer is God destroying our desire for things that are destructive to us. For example, let's say an offense. An offense builds offense. I don't want offense between me and God. My mom died of cancer. God is a healer. I have a choice. Do I believe Jesus or do I let my situation prophesy my future and define my theology? You have to choose. Jesus is still a healer in spite of my mother dying of cancer. And God is still good. But it's easy to be disappointed, which gives birth to offense, and let that set in, and then let that reshape your theology. Don't do that. Part of being with the Father in prayer is safeguarding you from that. Let me say one thing about love and knowledge. When you really, and I pray this, that you have relationships like this in your life. These will add to you in your life. When you have a relationship of self-giving love, in other words, people are in the relationship not for what they can take, but for what they can give. There's a whole lot of things that don't have to come up and don't get lost in translation because there's a level of love and understanding there where there's not a misunderstanding. Or if I really know your heart and I know your motives, I'm not like, you know how dogs, they meet each other, they're like sniffing around. They're like, we're not sniffing around. We are comfortable with each other and we love each other. There's mutual love and affection. So that allows, that, that, that in, those are relationships that enrich you and they safeguard you. The more valuable relationships that you have, the less you'll engage with relationships that are destructive to you. Are you following me? So, so God wants to ruin our taste for anything but the kingdom. And the kingdom is not the kingdom if it doesn't have the signature of Jesus on it. If Jesus can't sign off on it, it's not the kingdom. Many people want to talk about kingdom, not a king. <laughs> they, want, they want a kingdom where they're the king. They're talking about empire, not kingdom. Kingdom means Jesus is king, which means he's the one that is shaping the situation, guiding the situation, and leading the situation. So anyway, we're going to end because you guys are champs here. All right. Lord, we thank you for awareness, that you make us aware and that you give us discernment. And so we are rejecting the works of the enemy, confusion, fear, manipulation, lust, greed, all that stuff that tries to destroy our future.
we reject it and we embrace the kingdom and the plans that you have for our life in Jesus, in Jesus' name. Bless you guys. I love you. We'll continue this next week.